The problem today is that we have companies who own both the protocol and discovery of content, which ultimately puts one person in charge of what's available and seen or not. This is, by definition, a single point of failure, no matter how great the person, and over time will fracture the public conversation and may lead to more control by governments and corporations around the world. The Best in Bitcoin Made Audible I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a short little read today. Um, and I don't actually have a link to it for you because it doesn't appear, the website that I got it from doesn't appear to be up anymore. But uh, the way that I save a lot of my content, not all of the articles, unfortunately, but now I'm kind of thinking I probably should figure out a way to do them all this way. Um, or print them all to PDF. Uh, the the actual location of the original thing by Jack Norse, Dorsey appears to be gone. I'm sure it's somewhere else. Um, but uh, I have a copy of it, so I can't link you to it. But it's short, um, and it's basically Jack Dorsey's appeal or argument for why we need a native protocol for social media and his announcement of his commitment to investing in a lot of these projects. And uh, we talk about Noster and we talk about a lot of things and Keat and Hole Punch and all of these things, which he does not specifically mention either of these. Noster kind of happened after this. This was towards the middle of December that this was released. But this is a super important conversation right now. And I also think it's, it's a little bit like one of my New Year's resolutions, so to speak. I want to push this stuff forward. I want to be a more active part of it. Um, outside of just sharing the information and having the conversation. Um, so um, uh, I thought it was very relevant, and I thought it was something that we should definitely cover on the show. Um, so prepare for a very lengthy guy's take where I talk about internet protocols and social media and what changed and what I think will work um, and uh, my excitement about some of the projects coming up. But real quick, before we jump into the article, let's hit today's sponsors. If you think you have cold storage, you're Bitcoin in cold storage, but you don't have a cold card, do you really have cold storage? Don't worry, it's really easy to solve. You just get a cold card and you get a discount with my code. That's right. Bitcoin Audible, the name of the show, makes keeping your Bitcoin super secure cheaper. Plus, CoinKite has like a bajillion other amazing devices um, and tap signers, man. God, you got to check those out. Go to guyswan.com slash cold card. It'll take you right there. And then when you're trying to get some Bitcoin, do not go anywhere else. Do not search it on Google. Do not, do not waste your time hunting down the rabbit hole of the garbage and the exchanges and the shit coins. Go to Swan Bitcoin. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're trying to buy $5 a week or you're trying to put a million dollars in next week. Just go to Swan Bitcoin. Swanbitcoin.com slash guy will get you a special place that's, that's got me there. And how could that be bad? That's just, that's just icing on the cake. 
And then lastly, oh, you know what? My mother-in-law texted me just a little while ago that on her daily spin, which is just the free faucet on Fold in the Fold app, she got 100,000 sats. She got 100,000 sats for free just because she does what I do and she wakes up in the morning and she spins her Fold wheel and gets free sats. And then, of course, using the Fold debit card, you get sats back on everything else in your life. Bills? Yep, sats back. Mortgage? Yep, sats back. Grocery shopping, sats back. My Netflix subscription, sats back. My servers that run Bitcoin Audible and my Lightning Node, all that good stuff, sats back. Seriously, Fold is where it's at. Go to guyswan.com slash fold. And Swan, by the way, has two N's. That's my name, it's not the bird. S-W-A-N-N guyswan.com slash fold and you know where you'll find all the links and the discount codes and the free sats all that great stuff in the freaking show notes guys all right with that let's get into today's read and it's titled a native internet protocol for social media by jack dorsey I continued to believe there was no ill intent or hidden agendas, and everyone acted according to the best information we had at the time. Of course, mistakes were made, but if we had focused more on tools for the people using the service, rather than tools for us, and moved much faster towards absolute transparency, we probably wouldn't be in this situation of needing a fresh reset, which I am supportive of. Again, I own all of this and our actions, and all I can do is work to make it right. Back to the principles. Of course, governments want to shape and control the public conversation, and will use every method at their disposal to do so, including the media. And the power a corporation wields to do the same is only growing. It's critical that the people have tools to resist this and that those tools are ultimately owned by the people. Allowing a government or a few corporations to own the public conversation is a path towards centralized control. I'm a strong believer that any content produced by someone for the internet should be permanent until the original author chooses to delete it. It should be always available and addressable. Content takedowns and suspensions should not be possible. Doing so complicates important context, learning, and enforcement of illegal activity. There are significant issues with this stance, of course, but starting with this principle will allow for far better solutions than we have today. The internet is trending towards a world where storage is, quote, free and infinite, which places all the actual value on how to discover and see content. Which brings me to the last principle. Moderation. I don't believe a centralized system can do content moderation globally. It can only be done through ranking and relevance algorithms. The more localized, the better. But instead of a company or government building and controlling these solely, people should be able to build and choose from algorithms that best match their criteria, or not have to use any at all. A Follow action should always deliver every bit of content from the corresponding account, and the algorithms should be able to comb through everything else through a relevance lens that an individual determines. There's a default G-rated algorithm, 
And then there's everything else one can imagine. The only way I know of to truly live up to these three principles is a free and open protocol for social media, and that is not owned by a single company or group of companies, and is resilient to corporate and government influence. The problem today is that we have companies who own both the protocol and discovery of content, which ultimately puts one person in charge of what's available and seen or not. This is by definition a single point of failure, no matter how great the person, and over time will fracture the public conversation and may lead to more control by governments and corporations around the world. I believe many companies can build a phenomenal business off an open protocol. For proof, look at both the web and email. The biggest problem with these models, however, is that the discovery mechanisms are far too proprietary and fixed instead of open or extendable. Companies can build many profitable services that complement rather than lock down how we access this massive collection of conversation. There is no need to own or host it themselves. Many of you won't trust this solution just because it's me stating it. I get it, but that's exactly the point. Trusting any one individual with this comes with compromises, not to mention being way too heavy a burden for the individual. It has to be something akin to what Bitcoin has shown to be possible. If you want proof of this, get out of the US and European bubble of the Bitcoin price fluctuations and learn how real people are using it for censorship resistance in Africa and Central and South America. I do still wish for Twitter and every company to become uncomfortably transparent in all their actions, and I wish I forced more of that years ago. I do believe absolute transparency builds trust. As for the files, I wish they were released WikiLeaks style, with many more eyes and interpretations to consider, and along with that, commitments of transparency for present and future actions. I'm hopeful all of this will happen. There's nothing to hide, only a lot to learn from. The current attacks on my former colleagues could be dangerous and doesn't solve anything. If you want to blame, direct it at me and my actions or lack thereof. As far as the free and open social media protocol goes, there are many competing projects. Blue Sky is one with the at protocol, Mastodon another, Matrix yet another, and there will be many more. One will have a chance at becoming a standard like HTTP or SMTP. This isn't about a decentralized Twitter. This is a focused and urgent push for a foundational core technology standard to make social media a native part of the internet. I believe this is critical both to Twitter's future and the public conversation's ability to truly serve the people, which helps hold governments and corporations accountable, and hopefully makes it all a lot more fun and informative again. To accelerate open internet and protocol work, I'm going to open a new category of Start Small Grants, Open Internet Development. It will start with a focus of giving cash and equity grants to engineering teams working on social media and private communication protocols, Bitcoin, and a web-only mobile OS. I'll make some grants next week, starting with $1 million per year to Signal. Please let me know other great candidates for this money. All right, and that wraps it up. Um, and he has, he's committed, uh, Jack Dorsey has been, so this was back in December, like early December, um, that this was posted. 
Um, and it's funny, it was posted on Review, R-E-V-U-E, but it seems to be dead. I saved it in um, a uh, uh, app called Matter that just is a great way for me to like organize and save articles that I find on the go. Um, and Review seems to be gone, so I don't know, I don't have a link to it other than that, I'm going to see if I can find it around. But it's, you know, it's just basically a small announcement with an explanation as to why from Jack Dorsey on his investment and pushing towards decentralized mo- uh, social media protocols. But he points out a couple of really important things, um, particularly with the principles around the concept of social media protocols and or the principles around social media and I guess they're really kind of generic principles around the idea of conversation, around the idea of free speech in the digital era, period. Um, And essentially, how do we sustain that reality that we, we have protected, we've attempted to protect and expect in the real world, also in the digital world? And the reason I think it's really relevant right now is just because there are so many alternatives there are so many attempts at bringing this into reality and i think we're on the cusp of essentially landing on one or one getting the the momentum necessary for it to be adopted by a plethora of other of these alternatives because a lot of these can be interchangeable a lot of these can be can essentially lean on each other or be compatible in some way. Like a good example is, I know I talk about slash tags and Keat and Synonym and Hole Punch, like everything that they're doing um, uh, in their little ecosystem. And uh, the, the underlying protocol is actually called Hypercore, but I'm a huge, huge fan of that. And they're actually, or at least they just put out a video, I think it was, basically noting that in the Hole Punch um, setup, you can actually have a relay for Noster, which is one of the other ones, which Jack Dorsey is actually on a lot right now. Uh, Noster is, or Noster, is it Noster or Noster? I think it's Noster, but anyway, um, he is actually up there quite a bit, and for as simple and as light as the interface is right now, Noster works pretty well. It's, it's kind of cool. Um, I think there's a lot of promise there. My issue still with a lot of these alternative, these attempts at these other protocols is I think one of the biggest problems is the barrier to running a server. You know, the web itself, like the internet itself is a decentralized protocol, right? It's, it's a decentralized communications protocol, but the, the host, the producers or the, um, the providers of content, um, are specifically servers. They are literally, they're special conditions. They have a special network set up and they need a special kind of persistence on the internet to actually operate. Like one of the big problems is, uh, or an example of one of the big problems is that the internet actually has like a terrible scaling problem in the context of like bandwidth and content delivery. This is why so much of the infrastructure has settled around things like AWS and like massive hosting providers that just house so much of the server space and content and bandwidth and everything for the internet. Because if you're hosting content on like a home, even if you can set up your home 
situation to host a server and you know port forward and all of that good stuff your inter- your home internet connection isn't going to handle like having 10,000 or 50,000 visitors to you know download some content off of you you're going to get absolutely obliterated by the bandwidth requirements and the um the hosting requirements to keep that up and then if you ever you know go offline somebody accidentally your lawnmower chops up your line or uh, you cut your computer off or you accidentally, your kid accidentally unplugs your router. The whole thing's gone. Your, your little existence on the internet is gone until you figure it out and get it back up. And all of that is are a set of problems that you have after you get through the barrier of making a u- what is typically a user, like the typical person on the internet, um, into a provider into somebody who knows how to run Apache or Nginx or, you know, whatever tool they're using to try to have a server online to feed data to someone else. That's a huge barrier, and I think it's one of the major pushes or the the major dynamics that leads to the ultimate centralization of the Internet. And this is why I, um, or at least a re-centralization of the decentralized protocol. It simply tends toward that. And there has to be a lot of pressure and a lot of computer literacy and prosumers or you know pro-users in the space essentially to work around that. But even then, you still end up mostly on AWS. Like even those people, like myself, I one of my or two of my servers or whatever that I have in the cloud and for the websites and everything, they're all I hosted on DigitalOcean and you know LunaNode and Voltage and these sorts of things. And I do have my own self-hosted. I have my Embassy Pro. I have my Umbral at home. But when I'm doing something that does require a lot of work and I want, you know, front-facing internet, I don't want it on my home connection because my home connection is pretty unreliable. I just got a bill the other day from AT&T for $950 because my construction guys just crimped uh, a fiber line going to my house and they had to replace it. Um, and this was like two months ago or three months ago or something like that. And I just got a bill and it was like, you're going to pay it before the 22nd. Um, I'm not happy about it, but I really don't want to hand this off to my contractor and be like, sorry, here's a thousand dollar bill, but that's what's going to happen. I hope he doesn't hate me. Anyway, beside the point, great example. Like I can't, you know, my website can't be on that connection. I've had it go out on me, particularly because of construction and like little minor issues like this. Um, I've had to go out on me, uh, I don't know, three or four times in the last year and just in like issues, like with hookup issues and there was some sort of a router issue once and, uh, power went out, I don't know, four or five times. Our power is really unreliable in this area for some reason, but you get the idea. Uh, it's unreliable. It's just, it would be a headache. Like I'm happy that my embassy pro is as reliable as it is. But sometimes I'd leave and, you know, the first day we're traveling or whatever, all my stuff is down. And I'm like, I don't even know why. No idea what happens. Like the power just blinked off. And so the whole week we're traveling, it's completely inaccessible um, till I go home. So this is a huge barrier. It's a barrier to the persistence of data. It's a barrier to self-hosting. And there's the technical barrier of just figuring out how to manage all of it, like doing it. And that's why I am specifically... Very, very interested in Keat and Hole Punch. Um, and they, and Noster 
uses relays. So essentially, it's it's people who set up specific servers. It's kind of like Mastodon, but there's a much better global feed. Like one of the issues that I always have with Mastodon for anybody who's used it is that I can only ever seem to find people on my server. Noster at least seems to have really good communication between relays, or at least enough better than Mastodon that I am definitely finding people cross across different servers. But even that just kind of has like an element of like, okay, I got to make sure I'm broadcasting and I'm connecting to the right relays. And if I can't find somebody, what does that mean? And, you know, now I kind of have, have to have a, have to have an idea of the architecture to go search them out specifically to figure out why I can't find them or why I can't, you know, get this person's feed. But before I talk a little bit, uh, talk too much about like specific examples, I want to hit Jack Dorsey's proposals here, or excuse me, his principles. The first one is, quote, of course, governments want to shape and control the public conversation and will use every method at their disposal to do so, including the media. Now, I. There's this element of like suggesting this seemingly obvious reality to people gets you called a conspiracy theorist. It's like, what does the government, like, how dishonest to ourselves do we have to be to not see the blatantly obvious? Like, that is unbelievable, that is, that is common sense to me, that that is what the government does, and they have absolutely no qualms doing it. It's the whole process of politics. It's not about telling the truth, it's not about you know, having the most sound position or the most uh, uh, the most knowledgeable take. It's about perspective. It's about positioning yourself to look like the best. It is appealing to the lowest common denominator. And we see it in every single one of them. This is why I use that analogy that I think it's like a, a bad reality TV show that everybody knows is corrupt and full of shit, but because they steal from everyone first and then they use this reality TV show to distribute the funds, everybody has to defensively watch this garbage orchestration and then they vote for like the liar that they think is actually going to maybe give them back some of the piece of the massive theft that has been funneled through this idiotic system uh, because we see it over and over again. We see politicians stand in a completely in front of one crowd from one demographic and say one thing, and then they go to a completely different demographic and they behave differently. They say something totally different. They completely, like it's all PR. The whole thing is PR. You think they get in power? They actually achieve more power and more control and they have direct access to authority and they have the respect and the fear of media and corporations and they stop doing this behavior? You think it doesn't get 10 times worse? Of course, governments will shape and control the public conversation. That is all politics is. How can we get things that we want done? How can we please our beneficiaries? How can, we, how can we pay off our cronies and our subsidies and make it look and convince people, convince the, the people who don't have enough time to look into any of this and don't care enough to, you know, don't have thousands of hours to figure out what monetary policy is and fiscal policy and what a good healthcare system is and, you know, what a good 
like management of population and public works projects. Nobody has time for any of that. That's why we specialize, which makes the outcome, which makes the reward from controlling the public discourse, from controlling the public perception, orders of magnitude greater. This is such an obvious reality. I can't believe that like somehow we have allowed ourselves to be so naive to, to think that like we bought into the cartoon of government, like we bought into the cartoon of politics. We bought into the, I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill. That's not how shit works. Nothing works that way. It's a grift. And if we don't protect ourselves from it, if we don't build systems that cannot be centrally controlled, they will be centrally controlled. They just will be. And what's funny is this was the whole purpose of the internet. This is why DARPA was even like putting in uh, funding in a bunch of different uh, systems and like computer design and work in order to create a network that didn't have a central point of, that has a single point of failure. There is no security and there is no sustainability in a system where you select the explicit people, the tiny group of people, or the person that controls the system. All you have done, the fewer people in control and the greater the scope of what they are in control of, only worsens the power dynamic. It is power dynamics between people that result in corruption, abuse, lies, and enslavement. The way you keep a population safe is not by selecting which person in the room is going to be the only one with the gun or all of the guns, because all you've done is given them an outsized ability to control everyone else. The problem is the power dynamic between the victim and the perpetrator. That's not solved by trying to select someone that you think that you have you know, predicted in the future will never be the perpetrator and then giving them all of the power and then making all of your victims equally powerless. Because if we could just pick, if, if we had any semblance of judgment as to be able to walk around and talk to people and know who was going to be an evil person, who was going to be a good person, you'd never need any of it in the first place. You know who the bad guys are. Just avoid them. It is when power is distributed as evenly as possible that terrible people are kept in check and victims are least likely to be victims. That's the entire point of freedom. That's the entire point of free speech. That's the entire point of the Second Amendment. Now, not all power can be evenly distributed, but there's a really critical point, too, is that power can redistribute very quickly, as long as our systems are able to adapt, as long as there is no central point of control that restricts the movement of information or affiliation, the ability to, again, freedom of association. It's amazing how much of this is built right into all of the ideas that we were supposed to run this country on and how far we have strayed from these principles. And look at the results. Look at the results. It's shocking. I, had a, I was having a conversation with somebody on Twitter the other day, and uh, which I need to do. And actually, Mark Mariah uh, has a really good piece on Bitcoin Magazine. I might cover it on controlling your Twitter addiction um, going into 2023. And that's probably a good message for the Bitcoiners out there. 
But anyway, I was having this conversation, and uh, and it was funny. We were talking about an inflationary system versus a deflationary system, and we're talking about price deflation. So you know, don't get on me with the actually defl- Bitcoin is disinflationary. I know, um, but a price deflationary system and a price inflationary system, um, and uh, in the uh, in the conversation or whatever, uh, I talked about like the reversed. Um, the reverse consequences of the inflationary system is, you know, inflation is there to um, encourage consumption and it's to encourage risk-taking. Like, these were his words as we were going through this conversation. And he was saying these things are exactly what are incentivized by inflation. And these are good things. And so I pointed out that, well, so it incentivizes risk-taking. Our entire financial system is a giant casino chasing nominal gains, and they don't have the slightest clue what they're investing in anymore. The VC market is basically like real estate was in the 2007-2008 bubble and crash, where real estate bros were just flipping houses, and they had no idea what they were doing. Like, I mean, there were people who were actually improving houses and doing that, but even that was a market that was just vastly overheated because of the manipulation of debt and because of the inflationary system. And like I went through all this stuff, like these are the situations that we have today. You say it lowers inequality. Look at the last 30 years. Look at the run of the huge chasm of inequality that is growing and worsening uh, during all of this time. And I just like went through like this, this is what we have. We have an endless overconsumption, massive overconsumption, um, completely um divorced from our environmental impact because we're just rush ushered to consume as fast as possible we have indebted ourselves like to an absurd degree like we are literally in the largest debt bubble in human history that we know of and that's insane that's insane like we just kind of like brush it off it's like man it's business as usual it's like no it isn't look at the time scale look at the situation we're in it's a disaster and literally Literally, his response will well, no, you're ascribing to the inflationary system things that are natural, not the things that are just like this is what the market does. And it, I like the blinders, the double standard that everything in the reverse direction in the context of a system of sound money where there is price deflation basically, they just point out all of the potential negatives which are like theoretical negatives and the obvious, oh, it's going to collapse the system and the deflationary death spiral, so ridiculous. But all of these things are ascribed as direct consequences to a sound money system. But then the lived through consequences, the you got the inflation, you got the system that you wanted and we are living in it. Look at the results. None of those have anything to do with the inflation system. None of those are consequences of the monetary policy that he explicitly told me incentivizes all of these things. And I showed him the bad version of all of those things that exist today right in front of us and that everyone on both sides, on all three sides of whatever aisle in every political system are bitching about. Everybody's complaining about it. Look at the results of abandoning those principles. Look at the results of putting centralized control at every single step of the way. We have got to fix our communication system or we will never get out of this.
Anyway, that was a really long rant on the first principle. And it's just hard to believe that, well, there are at least a shocking number of people that are waking up and recognizing that this is the nature of government. But the idea that you have to explain to people that government is going to do everything in its power, use all of its influence, and have not feel any remorse if they can get away with it on controlling the public conversation and censoring anything that is not in its favor and manipulating and lying to make it look like they did the right thing or they succeeded when they failed miserably. Anybody who thinks that that is hard to believe or a conspiracy theory, I have a hard time thinking that person is awake, like ever, throughout their day, paying it, like, honestly looking at the world and paying attention to anything. So anyway, the next principle, um, and this one is, this one is critical, um, and I think this one is actually controversial, but it's one of those things where if you default in the right direction, all of the management or response to make the situation positive, um, is much easier to handle and you have far less fallout. So I, let me hit the principle first, and I'll explain what the hell I just meant. Any content produced by someone for the internet should be permanent until the original author chooses to delete it. It should always be available and addressable. Content takedowns and suspensions should not be possible. Now, I know that this is controversial for some people, but understand the the consequences of... We're dealing with a digital environment. So remember that on, the only thing that can really happen at the end of the day is speech. That doesn't mean it can't be dangerous. That doesn't mean it can't be terrible. That doesn't mean it can't be disgusting. All of those things. But at the end of the day, it is still just information. It is communication. And there are limits to how we should treat what we're able to do to that. We should restrict ourselves first before we figure out how to make a system or a network that gives us control over the dynamic or over the over the content that we see. And this is a lot in line with the principle of innocent until proven guilty, is that we cannot lose default innocence because the cost of either or, the cost of either default guilt or default innocence is massively asymmetrical. A default guilty and you have to prove your innocence is a far, far more horrible system with far, far more evil as a consequence. A system that can be centralized versus one where no data can be taken down is far, far more dangerous and far, far more evil when it goes bad. The consequences of a government that is that is the only institution that is armed in society and everyone else is completely helpless versus one where everyone has a weapon, everyone has the power to defend themselves. The government situation is vastly, vastly worse when it goes wrong. We have got to remember that the, you design a system that works based on the failure mode. When it breaks, what are the consequences? How bad does it get? Going back to a quote I've said many, many times on this show, that never forget that a politician you love, that whatever a politician you love 
can do to a person you hate, a politician you hate can do to a person you love. Never give any politician, no matter how good you think they are, never give a political system power if you would be even slightly afraid that they would use it against you. Because if you make a power dynamic that is too great, if you put it, make a central um, uh, place of control, a single point of failure that is too great, such that you can't do anything about it when it turns against you, you are screwed. And you will get the worst possible outcome you could have gotten with the system you designed or with the power dynamic that you allowed to come about. And that's why Bitcoin doesn't budge. Property rights first. Default. Not your keys, not your coins. If you have the keys, they are yours. Then we can build a system that is meaningful and that sorts out crime and punishment and figures out how to make the best of a situation that does have some potential negatives when bad people uh, basically take advantage of it. But when bad people take advantage of a system where they can just steal all of the money from other people, that they can freeze their accounts, that they can basically shut down their entire lives at the whim of a, at the stroke of a pin or the whim of a politician, that is a worse outcome. Principles first. And then the third principle that Jack Dorsey is a bit of a rant, but the third principle from Jack is moderation is I don't believe a centralized system can do content moderation globally. It can only be done through ranking and relevance algorithms. The more localized, the better. And there's another point that he makes in the same, a little bit further down in the same section that says, a follow action should always deliver every bit of content from the corresponding account. And the algorithms should be able to comb through everything else through a relevance lens that an individual determines. So I want to talk about like how social, like what social media is in the context of the decentralized web and why social media came about. So what the web did when, when it became the web, so to speak, you know, when TCP IP um, birthed the internet, there was still this massive barrier to its adoption. And that massive barrier was basically navigation it was nobody had a compass nobody had a boat like nobody knew how to like it might have been a potential ocean of people and connections like all of that potential existed but there was no way to move through it you had to manually put punch in connections you had to know exactly where you were going whenever you were going to it and the hyperlink changed everything suddenly you could surf there were connections, there were spider webs of just paths that you can take. This, you know, you know, we still even call it a rabbit hole of going down like through topics of things and exploring ideas because one thing leads us to the next and we can connect that information incredibly quickly. That is what made the web. The link is what made the web. And it's important to realize that the link was a protocol. No, but there wasn't like a company or like a central network that managed all the links. You just put it in your text and it would go to the other internet address, to the other, um, the other website or the other video or whatever it is that it was sending you to. So every time you followed this, you established a new connection. You went to a new place and you found a new source of data and a new host. 
but it was all tied together. You had these tethers and these threads connecting it all. So, and you know, then that's what Google and search engines and all of these things did is they mapped the web because it was a web. I mean, it was called a web. <laughs> it's like everything was connected together and you just had to find the path and find the one piece of data or the one person that would connect you to that next piece of data or that next conversation. So how did social media come about? Why did we re-centralize into these massive platforms? Websites are static. When you click on a link, you go to a website, you go to a server with a static piece of information, and maybe they, you know, update some information, but they update the, the information from the connections directly to them. And you aren't going to like a pool of connections or a pool of data. You are going to a central server that is telling you what is relevant, that is collecting the data on your behalf or to entice you to go there, um, so to speak. But all the websites are disparate and there is no overarching. The overarching network is just a way to find a device on the Internet. It's not a way to find people. And eventually, with the birth of chat, with all of these things, suddenly we realized that the point was to find people. Like, it, it slowly, it gravitated from, you know, finding a company with a website and some static piece of information or thing. And it turned into, and, and that makes sense, too, at the level of the internet that it was during, you know, the first, its first 20 years. Bandwidth requirements and the difficulty of establishing live connections that updated frequently and all the media and everything, everything about the conversation. It was like, it, it would be as if like every conversation was delayed by minutes or hours. You know, it's like email. You talk very differently in email than you do in text. Text is live. Um, well, text is like semi-live. It's like this middle ground between email and actual live conversation where you're talking to someone directly. And you have different modes you have different uh, formats and ways of thinking and ways of uh, sharing the information, formatting the, uh, the information in each one of those things. A text, you're not going to do in uh, a live conversation chatting with someone what you do in text. And you're not going to do in text what you would do in an email and vice versa, like going up the line. They have different time delays between them. And so we treat them differently. This was similar to websites. Is... It wasn't, you would go to it when it was relevant, or, uh, you know, you went to a website that had news if you wanted the news. You went to a website that had dog food if you were looking for pet food. It's like there were all of these different little islands. But then you would go to a website that had a chat function, and that other people were connecting to, that you wanted to chat to when you wanted to talk. So talking wasn't its own thing on the internet, it was one of the static things that you could put on a website. So it was a network within a network. It, it was a sub-network. You had the internet, which was decentralized, but then you would join a centralized network on the internet using an internet connection to find all of the people that you wanted to talk to, to find the information and status updates that you wanted to share with them. But there was no decentralized means to find another person and any relevant data or their website or anything and just connect directly to them on the internet. That wasn't a part of the protocol. That had to be built on top of it as 
a second layer, but it ended up creating all of these isolated networks where your Amazon profile is just on Amazon, your Facebook profile is just on Facebook, your Yelp reviews are just on Yelp, your Google reviews are just on Google. If you want to review a thing on like the top 10 you know, review platforms, you have to go to each one, set up an account on each one, and write the review on each one. They're all walled gardens. They're all centralized locations where you connect, where you go to have a specific type of communication or share a specific type of information or um, uh, converse with and connect to a specific type of people or a specific group. But as we did that, we found that those networks spread information so much faster. So much faster and in such a unique way. And those things that truly revolutionized social media, that, turned, that made social media the mechanism, like social media has really replaced the underlying internet as the way to communicate. Like, it's not the internet communication. We establish one connection on the internet in order to connect to, like, our social media or, like, our core environment that we then want to connect and share and have all of the conversations that we want. And those tools that revolutionized social media, that were the birth of social media, in my opinion, were the like button, the friends and followers, and the share button. So just like the link turned, the hyperlink turned a static, difficult-to-navigate web uh, uh, internet into the web, into something that you could surf, into an experience. Social media turned trying to find a connection and trying to have a conversation into a giant social conversation, into an organism and an event in and to itself. Suddenly, I could share something that you said to some that I thought was crazy or fascinating or heartwarming or terrible, terrible and awful or sad. I could share that. I could tell, I could spread that information to my circle, to someone who was connected to me. Then maybe they didn't even ever, they never knew you. Suddenly the ability, what, what that allowed was the ability for information to go viral. It could spread from person to person to person as quickly as you could consume and make sense of the information and turn around and share it. And suddenly the one, the, the cascade, the, the, uh, the avalanche of being able to have one piece of information or one idea or one joke be seen by a million people, by 20 million people, um, to replicate and spread through the network was so fast, was so insane. It was an order of magnitude improvement over the web as we knew it or over the way the internet had connected people before. And then it also gamified it. It turns it into, did, did they like it or dislike it? Did a ton of people dislike this or did a ton of people like it? Did, uh, is everybody ridiculing this person? What are the comments underneath it? Or is everybody applauding them? Uh, how many followers does this person have? It suddenly, it, it basically created a social scorecard. So it was like, it's like the kindergarten playground. It's all the dynamics of like a childhood playground, except codified, except like with like specific statistics and the craziness of being able to share a rumor quickly through the room, etc. You know, 
It was a wholly new way to experience this crazy, bizarre, collective, social environment that we are all a part of. And it sped everything up. But they were all isolated networks. Same thing with money. It's the same thing with money. All of our networks of money are isolated. You, and it's why they tend to centralize. It's why we end up having one giant banking architecture because it's by default authoritative. There is no way to connect and send money not in the fiat system, or there wasn't at least. So when you were on Cash App, you couldn't send it to somebody on Venmo. It's a different network. Just like you can't like somebody's a, a Facebook post that was posted on Twitter. You know, just like you can't share a TikTok video. I, you can't follow somebody who's on TikTok on Twitter. I mean, obviously... If they have a Twitter account, you can, but you can't follow their TikTok account on Twitter. They are separate networks. Same with the monetary networks. But in doing so, it means that our dominant mode of social interaction, our dominant mode of, con of connection, our dominant mode of spreading and analyzing and filtering information coalesced on a centralized layer on top of the internet. But consider, all we really need are a handful of things. We need the share function. We need the like function. We need some, sim some signal of social scorecard, so to speak. How many people have signed that they follow me or that they like my stuff, that sort of thing. And it needs a way to find people directly, to connect straight to the person. And this is largely... this way of thinking about it, this perspective that I'm trying to explain in this, hopefully I'm doing a decent job, um, is why I put so much, again, I like Noster, I like like all of the other potential, um, I'm excited about Blue Sky and the app protocol, but the reason I lean heavily and haven't walked away from or lost my excitement about Keat and hole punch and that, that whole environment is because what happened between the web and the and social media and the way the experience worked and the and the way that you then connected to someone else's feed and the feed was directly from that person and you could then connect to all of you followed all of these separate people you know like let's say you've got you follow a hundred people well, you have this massive common feed, this homepage that is just all of their content put together so that you can just get a quick image. You can scroll through and you just see everyone that you connect to and all of the information that they're sharing and what's going on in their life or what they're fascinated by or what they hate, like all of these things. You see it in front of you. It's your connection to all of your trusted sources, to all of your all of your social filters. And it kind of morphed the experience of the web from finding the static web that has the content you're looking for to experiencing a live conversation that's happening all the time, that's updating by the second, that is permanently there. And always, it's never, it's literally a process rather than, it's, it's like the difference between a process than a collection of data stores. It's just one big, messy conversation. So again, going back to Keat and these other tools and Synonym and Hole Punch, 
The reason I lean towards them is because I see a similar dynamic to what they are doing in relation to BitTorrent. We saw BitTorrent succeed. BitTorrent was a Goliath of the internet. It was a massive force in the history of the internet. And it is actually resurging, which is kind of crazy because it went through its era where it forced the old world to recognize the new technology because a decentralized protocol for file sharing, for peer-to-peer connections and communications was created that made sharing, made, this is the key, made being a server indistinguishable from being a client. On BitTorrent, they are the same thing, which means you solve the web's inherent scaling problem of how do you handle all the bandwidth? Well, if you've got one per, we saw it, we watched it happen. If someone shared a popular movie on BitTorrent and a thousand people came and downloaded it, they didn't have to handle all of that traffic because each one of the new people that came in and connected downloaded it from the other people who were downloading it. And it solved the data persistence problem that even though I may have provided the movie or the file or You know, I mean, people literally released albums like you can find content that's just released from the content creator to BitTorrent because it's a way to serve files to people. And now you can go offline. If some if, you know, four other people, five other people download it and they stay online, they stay in this ecosystem. Well, then other people can download it from them. And now you can accidentally have your Internet go out for a day. Or you can swap computers and you know transfer your stuff over and then come back online. But what was the drawback? What was the problem with BitTorrent? It was static. When you created a torrent, you couldn't even change it later. It was more static even than the web and the isolated, the, the idea of a website for a specific task or for a specific network or type of communication. BitTorrent was literally every single file was a torrent. And after you pushed it out there, after you put it into the world, the torrent couldn't update. The torrent couldn't change. It was there, and if a new version came out, you had to make a new one. And you then lost all of your connections. It was like, it's it's as if every time you updated on social media that you had to create an entirely new social media account, and they had to care enough about the next thing that you were posting. Like, I mean, that's kind of a stupid analogy, but in the context of trying to do it as social media, is that every single piece of data, everything, every single packet or video or picture that you wanted to share is its own file. But I think BitTorrent succeeded because it solved that data sharing problem. You know, if file sharing had been such that, you know, the person who wanted to upload the movie had to just deal with, you know, if a million people wanted to download it, that all million people had to download it from them, it never would have worked because it would have been so unbelievably expensive to share the data. So we already proved that you can solve the bandwidth problem with a different design from the way the core internet is actually designed in a peer-to-peer fashion. But its problem was its lack of adaptability. It couldn't change. It wasn't a live conversation. It was static websites, and it stayed that way ever since because there's not been a great push or a a need to solve the problem, in a sense. But as our internet experience became this giant 
amalgamation of a live conversation with everyone in the world in these isolated different networks with these different centralized filters and different single points of failure. And that became the dominant window through which we experience the internet. Suddenly, that little problem of the government and corporations are going to take as much power as they can, and they are going to control the public, the public conversation in any way, shape, and form that they can get away with and that they can accomplish, comes back to haunt us. Suddenly, they can make the data from the people that they don't think you should be listening to not show up in your feed. Maybe it doesn't, get, doesn't travel as far or as fast if it gets shared or if it gets liked. Maybe some of the likes disappear. I don't know. It's computers, man. Bugs happen. And we all know. We all know what goes on. We all know the conversation is controlled. We all know the censorship is rampant. But then you get moments like the Twitter files. You get the drops where... All of the problems people theorized about, everything that everybody really kind of knew was happening, but were still being gaslit into shutting up about it or feeling like an idiot for bringing it up or suggesting it because there was no proof. It's like, oh yeah, no, people just don't like your post, you idiot. It's not because you're shadow banned. All of that fell away when essentially every conspiracy theory they had about Twitter and that they have about every other social media is basically true. So we need a protocol. And it's fascinating to me that Jack Dorsey tried to do this at the beginning and now he's kind of like full circle. And I really think that, you know, Bitcoin resurged this desire in him. You know, like he saw the re, he saw the potential of the internet all over again. And it's something that, um, I mean, that's my speculation or whatever. But, you know, I've heard him talk about this stuff a lot. It seems to be the case. Um, and it's, it's how I saw this during all of the unfolding. When I found Bitcoin, it seemed like we could have a renaissance in the Internet. You know, like the Internet itself was a renaissance. The web was a renaissance. Social media was a renaissance. But each one continued to have... Everything had a trade-off, right? It's like two steps forward, one step back. We had some fundamental problem that we added to the stack when we created some new feature or some new way to connect and some new way to have a conversation. And it was increasingly looking like we were going to be stuck in these silos and the conversation was going to get that much more controlled, that much more, um, present that much more power for that fewer number of people in a very, very dangerous cycle of worse and worse as time went on. And Bitcoin was just this spark of we can fundamentally change the monetization mechanism that makes every other problem we want to solve solvable. And what hyper, uh, Hypercore and Hole Punch and Keat and Synonym, what this particular subset of the ingredients or the, the potential avenues for a decentralized uh, social media, a a native protocol for social interaction and for finding and connecting directly to your peer, to the people that you want to connect with and following them, is that it's basically everything about BitTorrent fixed. I think this could be, 
I think this is better described as BitTorrent 2.0. It's torrents, but live. It solves the data problem in the exact same way, but it's live. You can just go to someone's feed, and rather than connecting to a central server, you're connecting to a web of people, of other peers, that you go directly to their stream of data, to their feed, and their feed is anything. It's not just an RSS feed. It's not just an email address. It's not just a website where you're sharing reviews. It's not just this, that, or the other. It's agnostic. It's any sort of data. You just connect directly to them and you prove with their public key, with their signature, their cryptographic signature, just like in Bitcoin, that they are who you think they are, which solves the man in the middle attack, which solves the DNS problem, but that you know who they are and you know that the information you have received is absolutely unequivocally theirs. It was signed by their key. So only if they lose their private keys does, does that integrity come into question. Just like if you lose your keys, it's not your Bitcoin. But suddenly, so much becomes possible because you know you can solve the data persistence problem because BitTorrent already did it. You know that people could figure out how to use it because Bitcoin already proved that people would use, could use something even more difficult. And I have, as I've used Keat in particular, like Keat is just a chat app. You have chat rooms and it's like, you create a topic on this thing, which is like the topic is one torrent and everybody has their signed additions to that torrent. And it's just, it's just a feed of a conversation. It's a live conversation that other people can connect to and update and participate in. And I think the one thing left to solve, the thing to make it a web is the, I mean, obviously is the main functions of the social of being able to share and like and that sort of thing. Um, and for the feed to be, you know, created or curated in a social media sort of way. But that's the fun thing is that you no longer need the, the idea of websites are kind of redundant at this point. Because it's like all you need to do is connect to the person you're trying to connect to and get to get the information. It's like, sure, you can format it as a website, you can format it as an email, you can format it as a message or a chat app or a video player or something like that, but you don't have to. You can, you can choose any of them or all of them at once. The feed could just be whatever you wanted it to be at any one time. And most importantly, what I think is most important about this, whether or not this model works, is that the client and the server are the same. Everyone is just a peer. You are a server, just like in BitTorrent. You are a sharer of the movie. If you are a, or if you are a viewer of the movie, or you are a downloader of the movie. There's no setup. There's no port forwarding. There's no Apache servers. And how do you set up a relay, etc., etc. You can be a pro user if you want. You can have a huge hard drive space, and you can just say, share everything. Like, you could have individual control and you could be a power user just like somebody who seeds lots of movies or music or whatever it is on the BitTorrent network. You could share tons of feeds. You could always be online. You could have backup computers and you can charge or you can have it so that people can tip you for this service for having these computers running and for always being there as a seeder. But you don't have to either. But while you are viewing it, while you are part of the ecosystem, you're serving the data to other people. 
And you're serving your data to those people, your feed, your videos, your conversation, and your comments, and your likes, and your shares. And I agree with Jack Dorsey on this, and I'm glad that he is, the fact that he is setting aside millions and millions of dollars to invest in projects along this way and basically curating a group of people to build a project exactly like this, trying to solve this problem. We're going to solve it. We're going to figure it out. And in the context of the things that we've done on the internet, it's not even that hard. We figured out decentralized money, for crying out loud. We solved decentralized machines and infrastructure where certain computers could go off and the internet stayed alive. The communication system didn't fall apart. We solved websites and hyperlinks and connections. We created social media. We created an entire new environment and way of interacting with each other. We created this live, insane conversation and we created a money that cannot be censored, cannot be stopped, cannot be confiscated, and exists everywhere in the world all at the same time and has a provable, verifiable monetary system that no one, not even the most powerful government in the world, can alter and anyone can run it on their home computer. You think we can't solve... We can't make a protocol for social media. Nah, dude, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we have all the pressure necessary. We, We are awake to the problem that exists and the consequences of not having it. And we're going to make it happen. My ticket right now is on the slash tags Keat hole punch train. I am keeping my eye on all of the others. I will not stop looking around for others. But I love Keat. I've really been fascinated with this model. I think the the fundamentally changing the client-server model into a just peer and removing the idea of setups or configurations or anything altogether and just hiding it in the background is critical. And most importantly, I think it takes the example of BitTorrent's success and simply fixes why BitTorrent fell into the background. It updates the BitTorrent environment and bandwidth and connection world, the peer-to-peer environment that made that possible, and turns it into one that's a live environment, a live conversation where everyone is updating and everyone's sharing everything that they follow, and communication can be formatted in any way you possibly want. It can be an application, it can be a video, it can be a feed, it can be anything. And there is no center, there is no master, There is no great filter. Everyone chooses their own filter. Everyone chooses their own connections, their own follows. And they, on their side, decide how to to pick out what's relevant. They would be running the software. That's exactly what Jack Dorsey talks about. And I hope Blue Sky comes up with something even better. And if there's some reason why Keat and Hole Punch and all that stuff doesn't work, well, I hope Blue Sky figures it out. Or Noster or Mastodon, or anything else. But I've been trying to get, um, worked with a couple of different people, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to push for this. I really want to get some of these things done, and I'm trying to devote some resources to it. So this might actually be a good time to ask if there are any developers out there, anybody who's interested in working on Slash Tags, particularly right now, who is good with WordPress um, and WordPress plugins, We've got part of one put together, and I am happy to fund its conclusion for slash tags. I want it to be a simple plug-in 
download a plugin and you have slash tag users on WordPress. And I've got a handful of other projects and things that I really want to get into. Like I'm, I've been trying to devote more and more resources to this and we've made a bunch of fun little tools here and there, but I want to get a little bit more serious about it. And this I think is a, a push that, you know, like my goal is always to make a return, but I think there's something about, it would be nice to make a return. That's probably the better way to put it. Um, like, so if there was a way to make money off of it, cool. But honestly, you know, and I think this is indicative in what Jack Dorsey is trying to do in this. And I also think it's indicative of Bitcoin, the alignment that Bitcoin puts you on. You know, I'm, if, you know, if I spent $20,000 on like a project like something like this, but I ended up with something really awesome, like something that helped the system, something that really solved a problem and that people could use and, you know, pushed us forward into that next thing and figured something out. If I didn't make a single sat of that back, I spent a Bitcoin, if I spent five Bitcoin trying to do that and I actually succeeded or I felt like I meaningfully moved the ball forward and got us to that future faster, that wouldn't be a loss to me. Now, I'm not a developer, like, I can screw around with, you know, some code here and there and, you know, some scripting and that sort of thing. And I can install something that's annoying and complicated to install if I fight at it for a little while. Um, but I can't build it myself. The best I can do is help direct and, you know give a vision what I've, of what I'm looking for and hopefully find someone else that can build these things and fund it. So in my own tiny little way, I want to do what Jack Dorsey is trying to do. Um, just quite a bit more directed at exactly the things that I want to see. And unfortunately, a lot smaller than what he's up to. But hey, if we can all do one small piece, I don't know who else is out. Who else out there has like some good solid Bitcoin savings that they could devote to something like this? Hit me up. Maybe we can do this together. Like, do you guys want to see this? Like, do you want to solve this problem? Let's do it. Let's do it. We got the funds. We got the manpower. Let's, let's figure this shit out. I don't know. This was a really short piece, um, but it was super good, and, and I, I think it's crazy relevant right now. Um, like, I think this is one of the most important issues. Um, uh, not the most important issue necessarily, because there's still a lot to do for Bitcoin. But this is taking advantage of what Bitcoin can do, what Bitcoin can make sustainable. And I think we have a massive opportunity that we should not sit on. So anyway, we will close this out here. Uh, thanks to Jack Dorsey for this fund and for being committed to this mission um, and for... Honestly, his failures at Twitter. Um, I can't imagine, like, not to say he's without blame. Uh, he's absolutely to blame for a lot of it. But I feel like it's probably one of those things where you start building something and it turns into a corporation, like, and suddenly there are all these other interests and there's all, the, the, all this other power and you can't make a decision by yourself anymore. Like, everyone... All the stakeholders are then telling you what you need to do and they're all embarrassed and they've got their own arrogance and their own social pressures and their own reputations to defend their own agendas and it just gets away from you 
and you don't know how to fix it. I can see that, like, you know, these things, this particularly the networks, these things move fast, man. Like, you can't see the end where you're, you can't see where you're going to end up while you're building. And if you don't build the foundation right, if you don't know exactly where you're going from the start, that's actually one of the great things about Bitcoin is you got to build the whole thing, essentially, like the whole architecture, knowing what all the potential problems were going to be and just how big of an adversary Satoshi was up against. I don't really think social media and Twitter and these things really had quite had the ability of just how central to the entire conversation and to so many problems they were going to be and how difficult it was going to be to manage that position after it came about. But we can fix it. And I respect for Jack Dorsey for still investing toward it and going back to his roots and to the original vision he had um, when... You know, the thing that originally got him excited about the internet and stepping away from all that crap, man. I don't know. All failures aside, it's good to see him still trying to fix it. In my book, that's commendable. So, we will wrap this up. I've already gone way too long. Holy crap. How do I, how do I turn like an eight-minute read into an hour guy's take? So ridiculous. A thank you to Swan Bitcoin and to CoinKite and to Fold for supporting this show and my work. Uh, Swan Bitcoin is the best onboarding experience you will have in Bitcoin. CoinKite is how you're going to keep that crap safe after you buy it. And Fold is how you're going to fix your fiat situation. Get paid sats to use fiat trash. Thank you to all the Audionauts and to everybody who boosts and supports this show on Fountain and on my Patreon and hangs out in the Telegram group and the Keat group. Um, seriously, like having a group, having my network, having my peers out there who get to share this and excited about, are excited about this with me, it's, it's something I would never give up. So thank you, and I'll catch you on the next one. Till then, everybody, take it easy, guys. It is more important that innocence be protected than it is that guilt be punished. For guilt and crimes are so frequent in this world that they cannot all be punished. But if innocence itself is brought to the bar and condemned, perhaps to die, then the citizen will say, whether I do good or whether I do evil is immaterial, for innocence itself is no protection. And if such an idea as that were to take hold in the mind of the citizen, that would be the end of security whatsoever. John Adams This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>